I have been blessed. I, I have an amazing mom. My mom's 94, and um, I go see her every week, and my mom, she lies to me every time she sees me. She says, you're so handsome. <laughs> and, and then she hugs me, and, and she almost breaks my ribs and won't let me go. And very blessed to have a mom who's loved me when I've been so, so unlovely. I'm also blessed to be married to an amazing wife, Karen and I. We, for those of you who don't know, we had six kids, and uh, she seemed like she was pregnant forever and always going through childbirth. And I think that's a nightmare she has now that is happening again. <laughs> and, then, and then our kids all played sports. She has been to more soccer practices and more soccer games than any woman imaginable. She, you, wouldn't, you couldn't believe how many miles she's driven, and then football games and practices. She did that, and then she homeschooled our kids for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And years. Uh, I love you. you. You are amazing. Homeschooling. It was a couple of years ago. We have a homeschooling group here, and they asked me to speak at this luncheon. And when I had finished speaking, there were students there, and they opened it up for, for, for questions. And first question a student asked is, did you teach your kids any of their subjects? And I said, no, my wife is smarter than me in every subject. I'm not making up the next question. Did your wife not trust you? <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, she didn't. Um, she knew she could do a much better job herself, and so she did. Thank you. Moms, I want you to know we live in a culture that doesn't appreciate moms. I believe the hardest job, the most unappreciated job, and the most important job in the world is that of being a mom. Thank you for what you do. And today, I don't want to guilt any of you as moms. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you and encourage you. And, and so the point we're going to look at today is that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes being a mom can seem so overwhelming, and I want to encourage you that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. Some of you are about to check out, well, I'm a, I'm a student. Well, it's hard to be a student in the culture today and follow Christ, isn't it? So I want to encourage you. Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. Some of you are small group leaders. Some of you are seeking to make disciples. And I want to encourage you, too, that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. I want today to be an incredibly encouraging time for all of us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're new here... We believe the Bible is God's word. We love to open it up each week, and we come and see Jesus together. We would invite you to come and see him with us. Um, let me set up 2 Corinthians a little bit. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church he planted in Corinth. He loved the people very much. And, um, and yet this church had many problems, like all churches, like good news. And so he's trying to help them through their problems. One thing Paul does a lot in this book is he defends being an apostle because people were always saying, you're not a real apostle. You didn't walk with Jesus for three years. Uh, you weren't one of the 12. And so Paul defends a lot being an apostle. Now we're going to really focus on 9 and 10, but to get a running head start, I'll start with verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So Paul had some revelations. 
First of all, Paul had seen Jesus alive. He had seen Jesus, but here in particular, he's talking about that Paul had been lifted up to the third heaven. You say, what? So the first heaven is, is our atmosphere, and then the second heaven is the stars. We talk about the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And the third heaven, that's where God dwells. So Paul got to see where we're heading. Headed, he got to see paradise. And so to keep from exalting himself, it says that he was given a thorn in the flesh. Well, what is the thorn in the flesh? Some people believe it was an opponent who was always harassing him. Do you have anybody like that in your life? That's a thorn in the flesh, isn't it? Uh, others believe that it was some kind of physical ailment that he had, that he had some kind of physical ailment. The Bible doesn't say, but Paul had a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times uh, that it might leave me. Sometimes people say, well, you know, Smiley, Jesus taught us to pray our Father. Is it okay to pray to Jesus? Notice here, that Paul says he implored the Lord. He prayed three times to Jesus. Um, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, that it would be taken away. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, um, for power is perfected in weakness. And so Jesus said, no. That's important. There are some churches that say, listen, if you ask anything and you're sincere, and you believe it, God's always going to grant it. And I want you to know, Paul was sincere, Paul prayed, and uh, Jesus said no. You do know there are four answers to prayer, don't you? You know that, right? There's yes, and then there's no, and then there's later, and some of you are saying, okay, what's number four? You know what number four is? You gotta be kidding. Don't you believe God says that sometimes? I mean, it's not just yes and no and later it's, you got to be kidding me asking me for that. So, so he prays three times. Jesus says no, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. There's the point that we're going to explore. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, even with your weakness. And he goes on to explain why. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. <clears throat> therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. Um, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Now, can you imagine... The elders, you know, they put me out to pasture. They say, you know, I'm too old. And so the apostle Paul is submitting a resume to be the pastor here. And what he lists are all of his weaknesses. Used to persecute Christians. I have a thorn in my flesh. Uh, I'm bold when absent, but weak when present. Not that good of a speaker. Do you think if someone listed, like Paul, all their weaknesses, that they'd say, you're the person for the job? <coughs> and yet Paul says that our weaknesses are our strength. And I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging because I have a lot of failure in my life. Do you? And there's a lot of my life, areas of my life where I am very, very weak. And what Paul says is our weaknesses provide the place for God's power to shine through us. Isn't that encouraging? 
my grace is sufficient for you. So we're going to unpack a little bit that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you because a gospel, this message today is called the gospel-centered mom. The gospel-centered mom loves grace and understands grace. Do you? I love the word grace because grace illustrates the difference between the gospel that we love at good news and religion that imprisons so many people. Religion says it's up to you. You have to save yourself. The gospel says Jesus seeks, Jesus saves, Jesus does it all. Religion says you're doing a pretty good job, you're doing a pretty good job, you just need to try a little harder. The gospel says you're such a mess, only Jesus can save you. Religion says that you have to be good. If you want God to love you, if you want God to love you, you have to be good. And the gospel says, no, no, it's only when you know God loves you that you want to be good. I love to preach grace. I love to preach the gospel. And people will always say, Smiley, if you keep preaching grace, if you keep preaching the gospel, people are just going to sin and sin and sin. Don't we do that anyway? Don't we? No, no, it's when people experience grace. When people experience grace, that's when everything begins to change, even the way we parent. Listen, <laughs> the gospel-centered mom understands and loves grace, do you? Let's say that you're witnessing to someone and you use the word grace and the person you're witnessing to asks you, what is grace? What is grace? How would you answer them? What would you say? The most common answer I get from people is people say, well, Smiley, grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor. And I want you to know that's a pretty good uh, answer. But what I like to say, it's, it's ill-merited favor. It's beyond unmerited favor. It's ill-merited favor. And you say, what? Here's the difference. Unmerited favor, you go by an orphanage. You go by an orphanage. You go in. There's a cute child there. And so you adopt the child. The child didn't deserve it, but you adopted the child because you loved the child. That would be what? Unmerited favor. The child didn't do anything to deserve your love, but because you're loving, you decided to love the child. Well, what's ill-merited favor? Some of you remember 2006. Remember a young plumber went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania? Remember the story? and shot 10 girls. Five of them died, five were murdered, five were wounded. Then the man goes outside and he kills himself. A few days later, there's a funeral for this man and the Amish parents whose daughters were shot went to the funeral. They went to the funeral and when people ask, why, why would you go? They said, because everyone deserves someone to come to their funeral. That is ill-merited favor, way, way, way beyond undeserved favor. And when we understand how we have sinned against God and we have experienced His grace, we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Do you know what changes a, a gospel-centered mom? It's understanding grace. It's ill-merited, not just undeserved, it's ill-merited. It's ill-merited favor. Instead of getting what we deserve, we get God's favor and grace. Have you experienced his ill-merited favor? That is the gospel that we can get what we don't deserve. Let me show you that. The word gospel means good news, but it, it has some bad news in it. And we see the good news and the bad news in this one verse. In Romans 5.8, we read, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We'll never appreciate grace, the good news, until we understand the bad news. And it's right here, while we were yet sinners, all of us were born sinners. We inherited from our parents a sinful human nature, and then all of us developed our own personal style of sin. And we have all committed crime after crime against God in thought and word and deed. Do you want the people in here to know what you thought this week? Do you? Do you? Do you want the people around you today to know what you said this week? Do you want the people to know what you did this week? We have all committed crime after crime against God, and, and we're in big trouble because God is just, and he must punish sin. And he says the penalty that we deserve for sin is death, eternal death, separation from God and from all good things. And because we're sinners, we're helpless to save ourselves. So what do we do? We've sinned against God. We're in big trouble and we're sinners. Here's the good news. But God, talk about ill-merited ill favor, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we're living in rebellion against God, God didn't say, you take the first step, I'll take the second step. God didn't say, when you clean up your life, then I'll love you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because we were sinners and couldn't save ourselves, help had to come from above. So God the Son put on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life for us, and then he went to the cross for us. He died for us. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have never sinned and then take upon himself our sin? Can you imagine what it was like to have been in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit from all of eternity, and then on the cross, dying in our place, he would experience separation for us? He took on himself our sin. He died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us God's favor. He offers us amazing grace. He offers us eternal life. And our part is to receive his favor, to receive his grace, to receive his gift of eternal life. Never forget the first time I really heard and understood this verse where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go into him and will dine with him and he with me. I heard Jesus knocking on the door of my heart. He says, I, I want to move into you and forgive you of all your sins. You ever done anything wrong? What an offer, forgiveness, right? And, and he says, listen, I want to move into you and I want to take control of your life because you're not doing such a good job. And I can run your life so much better than you. How are you doing at running your life? You think your life might go better if Jesus was in charge? Jesus says, I want to give you eternal life. 
So there was a day I admitted to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I have sinned against you, and, and, and I'm sorry. And if you've not done that, won't you? There was a day I believed. I said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And if you haven't, won't you? And then there was a day where I committed myself to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me of all my sins. Do you know how good it is to go to bed at night being forgiven? <coughs> and I said, Jesus, I want you to, to give me the gift of eternal life. Do you know how good it is to live life knowing that the best is yet to come? And then I said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. For 14 years, I lived in rebellion against Jesus. And for 50 years, for 50 years, I've been following him. And life is so much better when he's in charge. Won't you believe? Won't you receive him as your Savior and Lord? And, and if you do, notice what he says. I will come into him. That's the Christian life. The Christian life isn't you trying harder and harder. It's Jesus moving into us and beginning to live his life in and through us. And that's why the point is that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you because when Christ moves in, that's sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. I love that word sufficient. Sufficient. Uh, Years ago, a man went to a Rolls-Royce dealership, and he, and he talked to the salesman. He asked about a particular model, how much horsepower does that car have? And the salesman says, I don't know. No one's ever asked, but I'll find out. Now, young people, there was a day you didn't have email. <laughs> you had to actually write a letter. So the guy writes a letter, sends it to Rolls-Royce headquarters in England, and he asks, how much horsepower does this car have? A few days later, a letter comes back from England, one word, written in bold, sufficient. <laughs> when Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, what does that mean? It's what? Sufficient. Don't we love to say Jesus plus nothing equals everything, don't we? So that means when Jesus moves in, his grace is sufficient. Sufficient for Paul. Sufficient for Paul to be an apostle. Sufficient for you as moms. Sufficient for you to be a, a gospel-centered mom and love your family. Sufficient for you as a student. Sufficient for you as a small group leader. Sufficient for you as a disciple maker. Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. So that's what I want you to remember. I've said it a lot. And now we come to our action step for this week, which is to rest in his grace. You ever ask people how they're doing? <clears throat> Does anybody say, I'm restful? You ever hear anybody say that? What do they say what? I'm busy. I'm tired. How would you like to rest this week, to rest in his grace? And you say, well, how do we do that? Well, certainly the first step is we believe the gospel. <clears throat> we believe the gospel, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Some of us need to take that step and believe, won't you? But once we do that, we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves that Jesus has moved in that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. 
So I'm going to help the moms here. I'm going to help the moms here learn how to preach the gospel to yourself this week so that you can rest. Wouldn't it be great as a mom to be able to rest, wouldn't it? So moms, here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. This week I want you to relax and to pray, my children are not Jesus. Some of you already know that, right? Okay. <laughs> but, but, I, but this is important. It's important in learning to rest. My children are not Jesus. Here's why that's so important. A gospel-centered mom should be the one who best understands when her children do things wrong. A gospel-centered mom should never be surprised when her children do things wrong, right? Because what does the Bible say? What does it say in Isaiah? Uh, what does it say? It says, like, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. How many? And do you know that includes your children and you? Each of us has turned to his own way. Listen, my children are not Jesus. When I look at my children, I shouldn't be surprised when they do things wrong. Uh, how about what Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 7? For from what? Within. Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. We live in a culture, we live in a culture that says that children are born neutral at worst and good at best. And when that is your worldview and your children's sin, you are shocked because you never expected it. <laughs> but listen, we believe all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned. We believe evil comes from within. So of all people, we should not be shocked when our children sin because when I was little, no one had to teach me how to lie. No one had to teach me how to steal. No one had to teach me how to be selfish. No one needed to teach me to say, mine! Because you know what? I knew how. And then I became a parent. And we had children. And we didn't have to teach our children how to lie or steal or be selfish. They knew how because it comes from within. This is really, really important. Some parents think that we can protect our children from evil. If we just protect them from the world, they'll never be exposed. But you know what? The line between good and evil is not out there somewhere. It runs right through all of us, doesn't it? Oh, my children are not Jesus, but they need Jesus, right? We know what they need because they're sinful just like we are. That's why it's so important that we learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. Relax, my children are not Jesus. They're flawed. They need a Savior. The reason we say that too, that my children are not Jesus, is it's very important as moms that our identity is rooted in Jesus and not in the behavior of our children. One more time, I think it's very important as mothers that our identity is rooted in Jesus, not in the behavior of our children, because so many moms... My identity is Jesus plus well-behaved children equals I'm somebody. Oh, and when we do that, 
when we make the behavior of our children the ground for our identity and our children are well behaved, we will be filled with pride and self-righteousness and we will look at all these other parents and say, if you had done a good job like me, your kids would make great choices too. But if your children make poor choices and all our children make poor choices, you will be crushed. And so the reason... The reason we pray, my children, preach the gospel, my children are not Jesus, is so that our identity is rooted in Christ and not in the behavior of our children. Now, I want you to understand something, that as parents, we should own our failures. As parents, we should. I have failed a lot. So much as a husband and father, I have failed a lot. And I should own my failures, and you should own yours. And Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. But we don't own the choices of our children. Our children make their choices, and they're responsible for their choices. That's really important. It was many years ago, my wife, Karen, and I, we were at a crisis pregnancy center dinner, and Cal Thomas was speaking. And Cal Thomas writes columns in newspapers. And Cal Thomas said, remember, this is a crisis pregnancy center banquet. Cal Thomas said, never forget, God was a perfect parent, and his children made poor choices. It's true, isn't it? Was God not a perfect father? And yet Adam and Eve made poor choices. That's why it's so important that we learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. My children are not Jesus. They're flawed like me. Listen, my identity is rooted in Christ, not in the behavior of my children. Listen, moms, I think this week it will be very helpful too to 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 preach the gospel to ourselves and and say, relax, I'm not Jesus. Relax, I'm not. You know how many moms are trying to be Jesus? There's only one Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. We're not called to be Jesus as mothers. What we're called to do is to point our children to Jesus, aren't we? You can never be what your kids need. Your kids need forgiveness. You can't give them forgiveness, but you can point them to the one who can forgive them. Your children need a new heart. They need a new heart. You can't give them a new heart, but you can point them to the one who can give them a new heart. Your children need eternal life. You can't give them eternal life, but you can point them to the one who can. Your children need truth. You can't give them truth, but you can point them to the one who is the truth. Your children need a purpose in life big enough to get up and be excited about. You can't give it to them, but you can point them to the one who says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You cannot protect your children from all the dangers in the world and get them safely home. Can you? But Jesus can. That's why you want to point them to the one who can protect them and get them safely home. Uh, when, when I think about not trying to be Jesus, but to point people to Jesus, it makes me think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew he wasn't Jesus. He knew his job was to point others to Jesus. And so late in his ministry, some of his disciples come to him, and they're all upset because everybody's leaving, and they're all going to follow Jesus. 
So he says, Gentiles, you got to do something fast. Pretty soon everybody's going to leave. And you remember what John said? He must increase, but I must decrease. Some people think that was a painful moment for John, that, oh, everybody's leaving. No, no, I think what John was saying was, Shoo. now they love Jesus. Now they're following Jesus. And isn't that what the gospel-centered mom wants more than anything, isn't it? That he must increase and I must decrease. So listen, moms, uh, relax. My children are not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Moms, this week, you know, pr preach the gospel to yourself. Relax. I need Jesus too. I need Jesus too. Listen to what Paul said here. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. How can someone be strong and weak at the same time? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. How could Paul be weak and strong at the same time? Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You get that? Weak and strong at the same time. How? I believe Paul would say there's two things he was convinced of. First, he was a great sinner, and secondly, he had a great Savior. Paul would have said, I'm a great sinner. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of believers. I'm the chief of all sinners. But, oh, I have a great Savior who loved me, pursued me, and saved me. And because he understood he was a great sinner and had a great Savior at the same time, he could be humble and happy at the same time. He was loved. He could be humble and helpful at the same time. As a sinner, he could plant churches and win people to Christ and make disciples. Uh, if people ask me, Smiley, what are you good at? Well, I'm good at catching red lights and disappointing people. Do you like red? Do you? If you like red, just ride with me. And you'll be amazed that every light turns red as I approach. I'm good at that. I'm good at disappointing people. Um, this community is filled with people that I have disappointed. And someone says, come on, come on. What else? What else are you good at? Well, um, I've been following Jesus for a long, long time, and I have failed a lot. As a follower, as a husband, as a father, and as a pastor, and there are two things after walking with Jesus for 50 years I'm convinced of. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, I have a great Savior. What that does for me, it makes me humble and happy at the same time. I'm loved. I'm loved. What that does, it makes me humble, humble and helpful at the same time. Because I know that I'm a sinner and I have a great Savior, I can win people to faith in Christ. I can be a disciple maker. I can be a pastor. I can be a husband. I can be a father. So as a mom, as a mom, as a gospel-centered mom, listen, this week remember, you are a great Savior uh, you are a great sinner, and you have a great Savior. Remember, I need Jesus too. So next Sunday, next Sunday, when it's time to go to church, and you're trying to gather the kids up, we're going to church, and when the kids say, why? Don't say, because you need to go. Say, mommy needs to go. 
And this week, when it's your night for small group and, and you're gathering the kids up to go and the kids say, well, why are we going? Say, mommy needs to go, right? Because no one needs Jesus more than you do, right? And this week, when you get it right, and sometimes we get it right as moms, don't we? I mean, sometimes. We're patient and kind and good, and our kids say, oh, you're so patient, you're so loving. Listen, what a great time to say, well, you know what? Really, I'm not, but I know someone who is, and his name is Jesus, and I am learning the more I spend time with him, the more I become like him. Don't you want to follow him too? And then there will be those times this week when we blow it. Isn't that true? where we get mad and, or we say things we regret. What a great, great time to admit to our children, listen, I am a great sinner and I have a great Savior. No one, no one needs Jesus more than mommy does. Oh. Um, and then we can always say to our kids, listen, can you imagine how bad I would be if I didn't know Jesus? Um, so this week, moms, when you're overwhelmed by being a mom, and isn't that all the time? I want you to remember what we learned today, that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. And I, I want you to remember how to preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. Relax. Relax. My children are not Jesus. I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised when they do wrong things. They're flawed like me. Listen, my identity's not tied into their behavior, right? This week, remember and preach it to yourself. Listen, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm just here to point my children to Jesus. This week, remember, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. No one needs Jesus more than I do. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came to seek and save sinners, that you were good so we wouldn't have to be, and you died and rose so that we could live. And you offer to give us grace and favor and, and life. Listen, if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you'd like to take that first step toward resting in grace, won't you admit to him where you are and just say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And, and won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit, Jesus, come in and forgive me and give me eternal life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. From this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. Won't you receive him? And if you have, won't you mark it on your connecting card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray for those of us who believe the gospel, that we would learn to preach the gospel to ourselves, that this week we would learn to rest, to rest in grace to rest in grace. May our moms remember that their children are not Jesus and they're not Jesus and we all need Jesus. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.